Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your son Jesus rose again. We thank you that he did not remain in the tomb. He did not remain on the cross. He did not remain dead. But by your power, you vindicated him. You rose him from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And he is now seated at your right hand. And he is ruling. And he has all authority, all power, all dominion. Not just in heaven, but on on earth as well. And God, as we meditate on the resurrection of Jesus, and as we meditate on the outcome of the resurrection of Jesus, I pray that you illumine our hearts, that you remove any spiritual blindness, and that you help us to see the glory of your son, Jesus. Or, Or I should say that you help us to see your glory in the face of your son, Jesus. Please make the truths of your gospel very clear to us. Please make the the blessings that come to us through the resurrection of Jesus very clear to us. Please speak to us, your people, by your spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe it was uh, Benjamin Franklin who said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Now, I was thinking, you know, with taxes, even though I don't recommend that you do this, please do not see as an endorsement, but with taxes, you can always, you know, try to evade taxes. You can always cheat or whatever. Again, I'm not saying you should do that. What I'm saying is, really the only thing that you cannot avoid is death. That's ultimately the only thing that you cannot avoid. It is a part of the curse of, uh, uh, of which this world is under. Death is something that all of us, unless Christ returns, all of us will have to experience. And it's not something, it's not something beautiful. It's not something pretty. It's not something that um, I feel like sometimes... Uh, we tend to idolize or idealize death and we try to make it pretty or something, something nice, something beautiful. But no, death is God's enemy. Death is something horrendous. Death is a part of the curse. It is an outcome of the curse. But the resurrection of Jesus is... <laughs> Or Jesus, through his resurrection, conquered death. Jesus, through his resurrection, was the first one, the first fruits. He was the first one to conquer death. He was the first one to not trick death or evade death, but actually defeat death. He was the first one to rise again. But one of the things that we don't... at least I believe one of the things that we do not focus on often enough is that 
the resurrection of Jesus is not just this isolated event that happened once and we can just celebrate it and then move on with our lives. No. The resurrection of Jesus is something that all of us who believe in him, all of us who are in him, can expect to share with him. We should expect to share in his resurrection. Be, <coughs> sorry, if we have believed in Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to Martha? He arrived. Lazarus was already dead. And so Martha is, you know, just being completely open with Jesus. And, and she's pretty much, you know, rebuking Jesus for not showing up earlier. And this is what Jesus tells her. Among other things, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Let me read that again. This is what Jesus told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the hope that we have, that even though we cannot avoid physical death, even though physical death is still very much a reality, when we die, if we die in Christ, we, as we learned in, in Revelation a couple of uh, Sundays ago, we will reign with him in heaven for a thousand years, if that's your, uh, if, if that's your eschatological view. <laughs> but not only that, that reigning in heaven with him is not the end, but the final hope that we have is that when Jesus returns, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. He will create a new Jerusalem. He will make us into a new people, and then we will get to enjoy eternal life with him. The hope that we have is that through the resurrection of Jesus, we can have life and we can be with him forever, enjoying eternal life. And so, Really what I want us to see today through Revelation 22 verses 1 through 5 is I want us to think about these blessings, about these eternal realities in light of the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, I want us to think about them not as just something completely separate from the resurrection of Jesus, but rather we can think of the resurrection of Jesus as the event that set off eternal life as the event that set off the new creation. And now, obviously, as, as we are seeing in the book of Revelation, a lot of these things, in fact, chapter 22 is speaking about the future. It's speaking about the ultimate, the final reality of God's new creation. But we also need to remember that we can already taste a lot of the blessings that the resurrection of Jesus set off. So we're going to go through six of these uh, blessings or, or six outcomes of the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> so let's read Revelation 22 verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the, for the reading of God's word. Revelation 22, starting in verse 1, says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, 
bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves on the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will set his face and his name, sorry, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So the first of these blessings, and I would say the, the all-encompassing uh, of, of these uh, blessings is that one of the things that Jesus' resurrection accomplished is eternal and abundant life. This uh, last vision before, before John ends the book with a, with a prologue, or sorry, with the... Um, why is that word not coming? Ep- epilogue or epilogue is at the, at the end of the book. Um, this is the last vision that, that John is narrating here. And this vision opens with an angel showing him the river of the water of life. And then this river coming out of the throne of God. And then this river having the tree of life on each side of the river. So I don't want to get extremely technical here, but I believe that the tree of life is not just one single tree, but it's actually a kind of tree, is the tree of life. And that's how I, I explain the tree of life being on both sides of the river. But again, I don't think that that's a, that's a major issue here or something that we should focus on. I think the point of this section is that this new city is where we have eternal life. The point of this river This is the river of the water of life. This is the tree of life. This is a tree that yields 12 kinds of different fruit and each month, uh, sorry, each month. And then the leaves are for the healing of the nations. All of this is speaking about eternal life. Remember when God created Eden and remember how he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he told Adam and Eve not to eat of that tree (laughs) And so eventually Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And so God decided to expel them from the garden. And he said, I'm going to have to put an angel there watching over the entrance of the garden, lest man comes in and eats of the tree of life and lives forever. So this tree of life is the, the, the source of eternal life, or at least, you know, whoever eats of this tree has eternal life. This water gives eternal life. But the point here is, where is this water coming from? Where is this water flowing from? And it says here in verse 1 that it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. God is the ultimate source of life. He is the creator of life. In the Garden of Eden, he was the one that breathed life into his creation, into the the first man and woman. 
and accordingly in his new creation, he will be the one giving life to us, to his new creatures. So it's not that this, this river or this tree of life have intrinsic life about themselves, but this life is coming from the throne of God. The life that Jesus offers is true life, is eternal life. And this is something that can be experienced now. When he was speaking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 10, one of the things that Jesus tells her is, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so she is kind of confused and asks about, you know, the well that they're on. And she talks about how this, you know, one of the patriarchs drew water from this well. And Jesus responds, everyone who drinks of this water, that is the, the, the water from this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give, give him will become him, I'm sorry, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water is something that can already be enjoyed. Remember at the beginning of the book of Revelation, to one of the churches, he tells them. Um, let me read it so that I don't make things up here. To the church of Laodicea in chapter 3, verse uh, 17, he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and shame, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then he goes, oh, I guess I'm reading, I'm reading from the wrong one. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of another section, but the point is, Jesus promises to the church, he promises that if they ask from him, if they ask him to give him of this water, he will give them this water of life. And so this water of eternal life, this is something that is already available to us. This is something that, as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, this is something that if we believe in him, if we ask him, he will give us of this water. Now, this is not, you know, I'm not saying that we already live in the, you know, in the new Jerusalem. I'm not saying that we have already received our resurrected bodies and, and we will never taste death. No, like I said at the beginning, all of us are going to face death. But if we believe in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you can already enjoy the blessing of having of this water that will satisfy you. Now, the second thing that the resurrection of Jesus uh, sets off is the, remo the removal of the curse that this world is under. In Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, 
No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. The whole reason why death is a reality in this world is because all of creation is under a curse. Remember, again, going back to, going back to Genesis, going back to the, the story of creation, God warned Adam and Eve that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. And so they disobeyed God. The serpent tempted them and they disobeyed God and, and they ate of the fruit. And now they didn't die immediately, right, on the spot, at least not physically. But as soon as they disobeyed God, sin, uh, sin and death entered into the world. The world came under a curse. And now death was a reality. They introduce both physical and spiritual death. And therefore, everyone who is not in Christ, everyone who is separated from God, everyone who belongs to the human race and does not believe in Christ is spiritually dead. And that's why we need the resurrection of Jesus because we need someone to remove this curse from us. And not just from us, but creation itself is subject to this curse. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, this is what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, this is the, the original creation, the one that we live in. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation itself has been submitted to this curse. We who are a part of this creation, we, are, we have been submitted to the curse of death and sin. But as I mentioned earlier, the resurrection of Jesus sets off a new creation that is to be completed in the coming down of the new Jerusalem. Think about John's account of Jesus' death and resurrection. In John's account, this is in, in John 20, Jesus is crucified, he dies, and then he rests on the Sabbath day, on the, on the seventh day of the week, he rests in the tomb. And then John is very, very intentional about opening the account of Jesus' resurrection with the words, and on the first day of the week. And then he he tells us the story of the resurrection. He he makes it very very clear that his main or or he that he is opening intentionally with and on the first day of the week. In fact, he later repeats that same phrase when when he tells us about Jesus appearing to the disciples. The resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples on the first day of the week. What is John trying to communicate here? Well, that the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of a new creation. Just like in the first creation, God created the world in, in, in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Well, Jesus rested on the seventh day 
And then on the first day of the week, he rose again, setting off the new creation, setting off this new life. In Revelation 21, I find it interesting that in Revelation 21, God says, it is done. It is done. And then the new creation is described. The new Jerusalem is described. And in the same way, when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And then his resurrection comes and the new creation begins. I believe this new, new creation is also symbolized or signaled by Jesus coming to his disciples in John 20. And he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. Again, this happens on the first day of the week. Just as God had breathed life into his original creation, now Jesus breathes life, breathes the Holy Spirit into his new creation. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have the hope, we have the certainty, the assurance that if we believe in him, we will join with him in his resurrection. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first born among many brothers and we will follow him. Like I said at the beginning, his resurrection is not an isolated event that will never happen again. Rather, his resurrection is the beginning of a new creation, the beginning of something new. And if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in him, you too can be a part of this new creation. And that's what John is talking all about in, in, in John 20, in chapter, sorry, in Revelation 21 and 22. Now, another one of the blessings of Jesus' resurrection and this new creation that he set off is the present or the in-person reign of God. So during the, during the COVID lockdown, I think I developed an allergy. I became allergic to Zoom. I became allergic to virtual meetings. I strongly dislike them now. I think I'd much rather cancel a meeting than have a Zoom meeting. I don't know why. I just don't like them anymore. I think we had so many Zoom meetings that now I'm like, no, please. I don't want any more Zoom. Why? Because there's nothing like being in person. There's nothing like being in the presence of someone else. Those virtual meetings are just not the same. If you think about it, don't, don't think too much about it. I don't want to distract you, but you're, ne- you're not even looking into the other person's eyes. So, one of the amazing things about the new creation is that we will be with God in person. Or I should say, God will be with us in person. We will see him face to face. It says in, ver- <coughs> in verse... Three, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in this city. And his servants will worship him. This is completely new and completely amazing in all of history of of redemption. The only other time where, where God was in person with his people was with Adam and Eve in an uninterrupted relationship. Right? Adam and Eve walked and God walked with them. 
But after that, then the presence of God was limited. Yeah, God appeared to some people, but it was limited. People could not look into the face of God without dying or, or you know, falling as, as though they were dead. But in this new creation, one of the things that Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection is that we will be in the presence of God. We read in, <laughs> we read in, in chapter 21, verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The reason why nothing unclean can be in this new city is because the holy presence of God is there. It would be consumed. It would be destroyed. And the only reason why we are not going to be destroyed or consumed in, the, in God's presence is because our sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. It's because we will receive a resurrected body. It's because Jesus, through his blood, redeemed us. And when we go to his presence, when we become inhabitants of the new Jerusalem, we will be there with our resurrected bodies in the presence of God. Another one of these blessings is that we will be priests. Now, if you think about it, that from the beginning of the book of Revelation, one of the most fundamental promises, one of the most fundamental, uh, um, one of the most fundamental things that will happen in this new creation is that we will be kings and priests. Right at the beginning of the book. It talks about how Jesus redeemed a people for himself to make them a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. This is extremely important because that's what we were created for. We were originally created to be priests and to be kings. And so here we come to the end of the story and we see that we will finally be kings and priests. And so in verse... Um, And at the end of verse 3, it says, and his servants will worship God. They will see, his, verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. See, the only people that could barely get a glimpse into God's face was the high priest. The high priest was the only one who was allowed to enter into the holy of holies. But he had to go through a very extensive process of purification and, and ceremonial cleanliness. Otherwise, if, if he was not purified, if he didn't go through all of the process that God had ordained, he would, have, he would die in the presence of God. And one of the unique things about the, the priest, the high priest, is that he had to have God's name written on his forehead. And so this, this point here about you know, God's name being on their foreheads is, is not so much about, you know, uh, kind of like I mentioned earlier about the fact that we belong to him. But I believe that the language here is speaking about us being priests, being in the presence of God. And also remember that last week we talked about how the city, the new Jerusalem, is a perfect cube, just like 
the Holy of Holies where the high priest would enter. So what is John getting at here? Well, what John is trying to communicate, what God is revealing through John is that in the new Jerusalem, we will be priests and we will serve him. We will worship him forever. Now, I think that many people dread the idea of worshiping God day and night. I think that to many people, it sounds boring. To many people, it just sounds weird, right? I think, I think um, there is this completely false idea that, that hell is going to be this super fun place where all of your cool friends are going to be, and there's going to be a lot of partying, and, and you know, it's going to be super fun. And then heaven, or I should say the new Jerusalem, although most people say heaven, uh, will be this boring place where you're just, you know, worshiping God day and night, where you're just singing uh, worship songs and hymns day and night. I think that, well, I think, you know, this idea misses a lot of points, but one of the points that, that it misses is that we were created to worship God. We were created with the specific purpose of worshiping God. In fact, we were created in such a way that if we didn't worship God, we would never be truly happy. We would never find real satisfaction. If you think about it, we are worshipers. That's our nature. Some people worship uh, things. Some people worship uh, other people. Maybe some people worship money. Some people worship sex. Some people worship um, their spouse, their children, their, their properties, their business, their job, themselves. We are worshipers by nature. We were created to worship. But we weren't created to worship anything. We were created to worship God. And so people will go on worshiping other things, worshiping uh, money, worshiping relationships, but that will never bring them true joy. That will never bring them true satisfaction. The only thing that will bring true satisfaction is worshiping God. And so, you know, just to be clear, I don't believe that we will be in God's presence literally singing 24-7. In fact, there's not going to be sun or moon, so I don't even know if we're going to count the days in the same way. But my point is, we are going to live life to the fullest in the sense that we will be worshiping God in everything that we do. I mean, that's, that's what Paul tells, I, I believe it was the Corinthians, right? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Why? Because we were created to glorify God. And so this amazing blessing that we have is that because Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into the Father's presence and he is now our high priest, and he is interceding for us. When he returns, when we, when we become uh, citizens, or, or when we finally come to dwell in this new creation with our heavenly, I shouldn't say our heavenly, with our resurrected bodies, we will be serving God as his priests, like we were originally created to do. 
<laughs> Another blessing of the resurrection of Jesus is that there will be no more darkness. In verse 5, it says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. One of the main features of this, uh, of the curse of this old creation is darkness. Darkness is uh, synonymous with deceit, with evil. John is particularly intentional about using that, dark, that idea of darkness, right? When Jesus died, it became dark. Every time that John is trying to narrate something that is happening that is bad, he talks about how it is dark, it is night. We talked about the deceit of Babylon. We talked about the deceit of the beast, how the beast deceives people into worshiping him, the beast. But the beauty about this new creation is that God will be our light. There will be no more deceit. Satan will never be able to enter this new creation and deceive people. Sin will never be able to enter into this new creation. The curse of, this, of the old world will be completely done with. And this new creation will be one where there's no need for sun, for moon, for anything like that. Because God is our light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John also says of Jesus, he was the light of the world. And Jesus also told his disciples to shine their light. When Jesus came, he shone the light of the gospel, the light of God into this world. And we are now commanded to go shine the same light into this world. Lastly, to complete this uh, promise of being a kingdom of priests, one of the outcomes of the resurrection is that we will be rulers with God. We will reign with God. It says right there, they will reign forever and ever. When God created Adam and Eve, the first command that he gave them was take dominion over the earth. Rule the earth. In other words, we were created to be God's vice regents. We were created to take dominion over all of God's creation. But of course, when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, all of that got messed up. And now instead of taking dominion over creation as we should do, a lot of the times we take lordship over it and, and rule it like the world does. And we destroy it and we mistreat it. We mistreat others. Or sometimes we simply just don't do it. We sit complacently without fulfilling God's dominion mandate of taking dominion over the earth. But when Jesus rose again, he came to his disciples and he said, all dominion, all authority has been given to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
And so now through the resurrection of Jesus, the authority that he has, he has given us his authority. And we can now actually obey God's command and take dominion over creation. We can now obey God's command and serve as his vice regents. Now, again, I, I, I keep saying this. It's not that we have come to the end of it. I'm not saying that we already have, you know, all of this dominion and control. No, this world is really messed up and it is still under, under curse. But we have the hope that when we are in the new Jerusalem, we will finally be perfectly, we will be God's vice regents. We will rule with him. We will take dominion over this new creation. We will no longer have to be subjected to incompetent or tyrannical governments. But rather, we will be free in the presence of God, serving him as we were intended to serve him as rulers in this new creation. So this, these benefits that, I, that, I'm, that we are learning from the book of Revelation, these blessings that we have through the resurrection of Jesus, although they are not completed yet, as I mentioned earlier, they are available to us. The water of life is available to those who ask for it, to those who buy it, to, to those who buy it without price. In Galatians, we read that we have been crucified with Christ. And we have also been spiritually raised with him in his resurrection. This means that we can already experience the new life that comes through him. This means that the curse of sin, is no, the curse of sin no longer has power over us. We can now say no to sin. Think about this for a moment. We are no longer under the power of sin. We are no longer under the power of this curse. Does it have an effect on us? Yes. Do we still have a sinful nature? Yes. But because we are a new creation through the resurrection of Jesus, we actually have been given the power to say no to sin and temptation. We cannot see God face to face yet, but we can experience his presence through his Holy Spirit. We do not see his throne face to face, but we can already approach his throne of grace through our high priest, who is Jesus Christ. We can already fulfill our ultimate purpose of worshiping as we do everything for the glory of God. We can already experience his light as he has shown his light into our hearts and we no longer live deceived by the lies of the enemy and the darkness of this world. And we can spread this light as we proclaim the gospel to the world. We can now serve as vice regents of God as we take dominion over creation, as we manage creation and administer for the glory of God, as we take dominion and are faithful and we have children. This is one excellent way to fulfill the dominion mandate, having children as we preach the gospel and make disciples. How is all of this already available? Well, this is available to everyone who believes in Jesus. 
This is available to everyone who asks for this water of eternal life. Or to use revelation language, this is available to the one who conquers. This is available to the one who is faithful to Jesus, even unto death. This is available to the one who obeys the commandments of God. Eternal life is available to the one who conquers. Jesus made this new life possible as he went to the cross and died to save us from our sins. He made it available as he rose again, defeating death and setting off God's new creation. I want to finish by reading this, these verses from 2 Corinthians. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God is redeeming this world through the cross of Jesus. God has made us into a new creation because of the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. We have this eternal life now. Even though it's not yet completely fulfilled as it will be in this new creation, we have access to this eternal life now. We have access to God's spirit now. Let us take advantage of it. Let us live as people who have experienced the resurrection of Jesus, who have shared in the resurrection of Jesus. Let us live as people who have a new life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you that he is the lamb who was slain. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah who conquered. He is the one who defeated Satan who defeated this curse that our world is under. And thank you that through his resurrection, you, you begun a new creation. And thank you that those of us who are in him, those of us who believe in Jesus, can already partake of this new creation. Please give us eyes to see the blessings of this new resurrection and also give us hope, give us faith to wait patiently for the fulfillment of all of these realities in the new heaven and the new earth. 
Please help us to remain faithful to you, Lord, to obey your commands, to conquer, so that we get to participate in this final blessing of your presence in the new Jerusalem. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.